I don't know. Like I just I keep putting myself in that kid's situation, and I'm like, would I have done what Kenobi did? And we gave him the trail name Kenobi because from like General Kenobi from Star Wars, just the commander, dude, just like the the good guy, not to a fault, but just like the the, the best of us, you know. Like he was just the good guy. He was like the little our like commander for Pennsylvania, kind of. It was really funny and uh, really cool. I'm glad you asked about that. That's, yeah, yeah, that was a good one. I'll never forget that. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Aaron Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guest is Bolt, known off-trail as Connor Pierce. In 2018, he hiked the AT to figure out what comes next after graduating with a philosophy degree. Little did he know, the meandering trail would be a perfect place to ponder, particularly when you start in early February. The suffering either breaks you, or you find the funny, and in this episode, he reminisces about where he found the funny. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, through spelled T-H-R-U, of course, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Bolt. Hey, how are you? Hey, Connor. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's pretty cool. I've always fantasized about kind of having a podcast myself. It's always been kind of a, uh, I don't know, it's like a, something I always talk about but haven't ever done, you know. I hear you. I talked about it for a very long time before I actually did it as well. You did the AT in 2018. Yeah, just last year. Just last year. Yeah, February 3rd to uh, June 17th. You got out there really early. Yeah, and that was uh, that was by design, too. It kind of just happened that way. I originally had set out, I think, uh, like, March 1st was kind of my target leave date for, like, months and months, and then it got closer to the time, and, like, I was just like, I, why am I not leaving right now? Like, I'm ready um, I had all my jobs and stuff like kind of, you know, I was on my way out the door from them. And even one of my bosses was like, dude, just go. <laughs> I somewhat of an impromptu, uh, super early leave, but the intention was to kind of beat the, uh, northbound bubble, uh, mm-hmm. from the get go. And I think if I had left like March 1st, I would have definitely been more in it than I was because I was not at all. It was fantastic, actually. Uh, I don't regret it at all. If I ever did it again, I'd leave even earlier. It was great. You're basically leaving in the middle of winter. Yeah. And uh, and I I will say this. uh, I I knew that, obviously. I'm from Georgia, so I'm familiar with, like, the South winters. Right. Typically, it gets gets cold, but we don't get much snow and stuff like that. I was pretty, like, uh, ignorantly blissful about it. (laughs) And then... 
you know, I get through Georgia. It's kind of icy and really cold. That was whatever. And then uh, North Carolina was a beautiful, beautiful, uh, like, kind of trick of weather because it was just fantastic. And then the second I started my walk into Damascus is when the snow stopped, started. And I don't remember taking a step in Virginia without snow, basically. It got it got it got kind of brutal, way more brutal than I thought it was going to be in Virginia. I don't know. I, I guess I just didn't expect that, and that was a big uh, shock, truly, because uh, we saw snow from basically like Irwin, Tennessee, to like Pennsylvania, and then after that, wow. you know, the north still had some snow on the ground, but it wasn't like actively snowing. It was really hot outside, and then you know you get into Maine and you pass under the Mahusic Notch and. There's like three feet of snow underneath the rocks. Well, that was kind of cool, but uh, Virginia was tough as far as snow goes. But I don't regret a second of it. It was awesome. You being out there so early, I'm assuming that there were very few people out there with you. Yeah, I and I, I thought that was a beautiful thing because in my experience, you know, I kind of break my through hike up into like really like three people that kind of just made the experience for me personally uh one of which in the first person i met on my hike period was this girl named fun size she's a uh, triple crowner and in fact she was finishing her triple crown by doing the at third which i feel like is kind of like a backwards way that people do it i thought that was interesting yeah i met her on like uh blood mountain and then we we walked till about franklin north carolina together my knee started hurting pretty bad and she is one of the most experienced hikers I've ever met in my life. And it, it was very difficult to keep up with her. And I eventually realized that as great of company as she was, and as much as I was learning from her, I, I just couldn't do those miles that early. You know, she, she basically just gotten off the CDT. So she was still kind of in that. I mean, she was just in the zone from the you know day one, whereas I, I had to earn my trail legs on the AT. I didn't get them before. So I had to say goodbye to her. But uh, other than that, I I ran into a few people, a few early birds, I guess. Um, but from about Damascus until Maine, it was basically me, Fun Size, uh, this guy named Big Tuna, and Lacopa uh, that kind of made that experience for me. And there were some others around us, but just little baby bubbles that were always, you know, a couple days apart. Um, so I didn't really see many of like, much of the other people. It was usually day hikers. And then those three were kind of like the big, the big people around me. Scoutmaster, I think he did a, a YouTube channel. He was kind of yo-yoing with us all the way up, but it was nice. I, I, I got really close with all of them and I'm a social butterfly, I guess, but I would rather have like two or three really good, hiking buddies than to have like 12 people all around me at all times. Right. It, it kept your trail family pretty small. Yeah. And specifically Lacopa and Big Tuna, those guys, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they were the best. Without them, I, I think I would have made it, but it wouldn't have been half as fun, no doubt. How many miles were you doing at the beginning? <laughs> I still have knee problems a little bit, uh, almost a year later because I kind of fell into the trap, uh, and I'm going to call it a trap, uh, when I met Fun Size, because I, I did like a 12-mile day, like, on the first day, mm-hmm. and then 
maybe the second day I did like, you know, 11, 12, 13, something like that. And I, you know, I was hurting. I mean, I, but I, you know, I kind of, I, I was comfortable, I guess. I was, I was, I was working, but it was also not killing me. And then I met Fun Size and, you know, she was like the first like through hiker I've met. She was just super dope to talk to because she had, you know, she, I mean, she had like thousands of miles under her belt and, and I, I just gravitated towards that because she taught me and just showed me these little things that, you know, I could have experienced and learned later, but I learned them really early uh, talking to her. And she was pumping out, you know, like 25s and 27s going over uh, in Georgia. And there was a couple of days with her where she was like, you know, you can do it. Like, I, I think you can do it. So I was like, yeah, I think I can too. And I started doing them. And by the time I got to Franklin, North Carolina, I, uh, I mean, I, my knees were hurting like bad like not the good kind of hurt I, mean, <laughs> I, had to, I had to take uh i had to take like a day and a half or two at a zen gooder grove hostel and uh recuperate and then when i started again i slowed down the mileage and kind of went at my own pace and that's when i started to meet you know lacopa and big tuna and so it all worked out but uh yeah, I, I I fell into the trap. I, I thought mm-hmm. I I thought I had my trail legs way sooner than I actually did. Uh, and that could have actually ended my through hike if I had kept doing that. I'm a firm believer in that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. What kind of hiking training did you do beforehand? Uh, I I kind of got into like just overnight weekend backpacking about two years, maybe in you know, 2015, 16. And, uh, but the longest I'd ever gone was probably two nights, three nights and three days. It was just cause I was in school. It was just something I really enjoyed. You know, we kind of, we would pack out this crazy stuff and, you know, like little tables and we'd set up like a whole shop, like up in a mountain and just, you know, almost glamping, but we were packing like 50 pound packs, you know, uh, make it, you know, just, they can camp our home home and uh outside that you know my first my fourth night on the trail was the longest i'd ever been outside and as far as training goes i i kind of got in the gym like two months before and i would bring my uh my actual pack into the gym and load it up with medicine balls and just walk on the stair stepper and dude people made fun of me so hard they were like what are you doing i was like i I, I'm about to go walk across the East Coast. Like, I don't really know what to tell you. <laughs> like, people, people laughed at me in the gym. I, I, I'll never forget that. But nothing too crazy. I, I figured I would get in shape uh, during the hike, which is exactly what happens. Now, how did you go from, as you call it, glamping almost, to saying, I want to do a through hike? This sounds right yeah. up my alley. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, I, even when we would pack out, like, chairs and stuff, like little, like, camping chairs, I call that glamping, I guess, but I, I a part of what I loved about hiking, I think, for me, was uh, not even so much, like, I mean, I'm a travel, you know, I got the travel bug, like, I love seeing mountains and places I've never seen, I mean, that's all in its own category, but... I think for me, what kind of attracted me to backpacking was like the idea that you literally only have what you need and 
when you set up camp, it's not like you can just run to the store because like, oh, I forgot toilet paper. Like you, I mean, you have to rely on everything that you have. And I think mm-hmm. that that isolation is kind of what made me really interested in it because like, I just liked the feeling of having everything on my back, like in this little pack and anything that I realistically needed to do, you know, was in there. And I, I just thought that was really cool. And so after I got done with college, I was in the classic, like, I don't know what the hell I'm about to do. <laughs> like I had no career, uh, you know, nothing that I was like necessarily striving towards like specifically. And I was kind of just in limbo that post-grad blues, you know, and, uh, it just kind of, you know, my buddies were like, dude, if you want to do something like that, now would be the time. And about a year later I left. Uh, but it was just kind of like the idea of that looks really, really hard. I want to see if I can do that because people apparently do. And I thought that was crazy. I was like, I want to be crazy. (laughs) I'm young and crazy. Yeah. Like it was just, it just seemed so foreign to me because, you know, I had done a couple of like pretty sweet hikes up in North Carolina, not on the AT, but and like, you know, I remember going out for like three days and coming back and being like, Oh my God, that was so great. You know, like that was so cool. And I was like, you mean people do that for like 200 days, you know, longer sometime. I and mean, it's just, it just kind of blew me away. And I was like, that just like, I could do that. I think. And then you know, I did. And it was still probably the coolest thing. I've, still, I do another long trail. It's probably the coolest thing I've ever done in my opinion. I love it. it. It's pretty badass. Yeah, it was just a freedom, man. Just, you know, like I said, the mountains and scenery are obviously pretty cool. Like, you get to see some cool parts of the country that otherwise you may not necessarily, uh, you know, get to visit. Like the White Mountains. I mean, it's like one of the coolest little places I've just about ever been uh, as far as just being in it like hiking or something and uh yeah but it was just the whole the whole like idea of it like you're just leaving home and walking that way follow the white blazes that's it that's it what did you find out or learn from walking from Georgia to Maine yeah uh that's the that's the king question of them all. Uh, <laughs> I, I honestly, I think that when I started, I think I was on like a search for like, you know, I, I think when I started, I was like, you know what, maybe if I do this, I'll get to Katahdin and I'll summit Katahdin and I'll just like somewhere along the way, I'll have a realization of like what I want to do with myself. Like where, you know, I think I was kind of after answers questions I didn't even really like weren't even necessarily asking myself I mean I I think I was just hoping for some sort of revelation at the end of it being like oh you know I want to be a blah 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 now Mm -hmm. like it would just happen that way and I I quickly realized that's not how things work you know I got to Katahdin and I was like I don't know I don't know a damn thing more than I did about what I want to do but I think that that came with a beautiful little surprise of you know I, I underestimated how, uh, in leaving so early, there was often, often times where I was, you know, either with one other person or if we were not walking together that day, uh, you know, totally alone unless you were running into people. But 
the people didn't really start coming out until it warmed up. And so that isolation, I think, really helped, uh, helped me just shake some maybe frustrations that I had uh, from where I was living and just, I don't know. I think I kind of got clarity on uh, on stuff more than I did anything, and I just realized that, like, dude, I could be by myself, and it's all good. Like, you you know, you just, I, I just feel more confident, kind of, in a way, because I just, I know that I could do something kind of crazy sounding, and I don't know, uh, it, it kind of transpires into daily activities at work and stuff, like, you're like, oh, I don't want to go back in and work and do all this shit, and then you realize, you're like, well... Like, I climbed Mount Musilaki, like, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of confidence, I think. Other than that, dude, just pure, like, fun and laughter, man. Me and me and uh, Big Tuna and Lacopo, we laughed so hard every single day about nothing and everything, and that was just liberating. You just don't, you know, work in a nine-to-five and just the typical woes of city life. You don't really get those moments, like, over and over again, you know? It's just true, kind of, like, like free fun. I don't know, and it was just, it was a blast. A lot of it sucked, but even the sucky parts are actually probably some of my fondest memories. Uh, when you're when you're suffering with other people, dude, that shit can be so funny if you just yeah. let it. I, I'll, I will I will always stand by that. Suffering with other people is quite an adventure. <laughs> what was a time when you were suffering with somebody else where you guys went kind of from this sucks? I don't know why I'm out here this is the worst thing ever to kind of looking at each other and all of a sudden just laughing about it. Yeah. Uh, there, there's two that kind of stick out. One, me and, uh, Tuna and, uh, Lacopa, we still refer to as the, uh, the Massey gap incident. This was this, uh, the Massey, Massey gap is like a, it's in the, uh, uh, Grayson Highlands, like, um, somewhere kind of in the middle-ish of it. And it's just like a, it's like an access road that you can get to uh, the trail. Um, it's, it's off the trail a little bit. So we had to backtrack a tad, but we got into the Grayson Highlands and I will forever claim that I got robbed in the Grayson Highlands because it was so damn snowy. And like, I mean, snow up to like your, you know, mid thighs. Um, so, we saw the ponies and stuff, but everything else was just kind of like this blows. Like we had been walking in like knee high snow for, I mean, days and days and days. And, uh, we got to this shelter. I believe it was the, uh, oh, what was the name of it? Lacopa would kill me for forgetting this. Uh, one of the shelters right past the Massey gap exit. And we were like, dude, we were all kind of like getting, just kind of like, man, this, this actually like does kind of suck. And we, uh, stayed the night in that shelter. It's, it snowed sideways and like came in on the shelter. We woke up a couple of inches of snow, just like all over our stuff. And we couldn't even get our shoes on. It was like 10 degrees. It felt like maybe 12. And, uh, we all just kind of got up and like, no one wanted to be the guy to say that like 
let's go back to the Highland, like the Grayson Highland Inn. And, you know, but we all kind of had this moment <laughs> where we like looked at each other and just like kind of smiled. And we were like, dude, let's go get some fucking beer. This is like, we will come back to this when this kind of dies down. And then, you know, all the way back to Massey Gap, we kind of just made a, like we were falling over like post hole or whatever you call it. And like my legs would get stuck like in the snow and I would, my upper body would fall, but like my legs would stay straight up and like, they would have to like, you know, kind of pick me up. And it was just, we'd, they were just laughing at me falling. And I was just like, but it was like irrational laughter. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like oh, yeah. what we were doing wasn't funny, but it was just like the situation kind of sucked so bad that like, that was like the only natural response we had was just, you know, Lacopa would be like, I mean, just even stupid shit. Like he'd be like, Hey man, you want to know something? I'd be like, Oh, what? He'd be like, you know, you're a dick. And it was just like, ah, like, I don't know why, but like stuff like that would just crack us up. Like there was just doing anything to kind of take our mind off the fact that we were just banging our ankles on all these rocks we couldn't see and stuff. And, uh, God, it was just hilarious. It's sort of like when you get that miserable, you can either sort of cry about it or... Yes, that's exactly it. And we chose to not, I don't know, not break. It was funny. And to this day, it's one of my favorite nights on trail. Just just looking back, like it was just like, oh man, that that sucked. But you're like smiling when you say it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's cool. And like I said, without those two guys, it wouldn't, uh, like, I don't think I would have quit, but I would have called off. I would have had to have gone into, like, a hostel or something more times than I did. Me and Big Tuna specifically were pretty adamant about, I know this gets kind of controversial with through hikers, but we were kind of ad. like, I almost felt like I developed this mentality where I was like, every time I stay in a hostel or something, like, I kind of felt like I was cheating a little bit. Um, I really kind of feel like I became a little bit of a purist out there. Uh, I think that's just kind of stems from who I am at home, but, uh, you know, I would have gone to much more hostels and stuff had I had not been with them, but sometimes we would just stick it out and just, you know, eat and just talk about would you rather situations and just tell stories, man. And that's the kind of stuff that makes through hiking the best. Just, hearing all, all about all of other people's experiences and stuff. You just It's a small world out there, and you really realize that when you start, like, traveling it a little bit, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, like people are very similar. It just, it just it kind of blew my mind, like, how crazy it was. Like, just this guy from New York and this guy from Virginia and this kid from Georgia, just, like, how different we were, but how similar our, like, thoughts and views on stuff was I found that fascinating and I always have but it got more evident when you hang around somebody for three months with a backpack you know you really get into their head you have a lot of time on trail to talk oh yeah and I I I loved it there I I went back at that many you know there were some days where like and I think we had a good system because a lot of people don't like hiking with other people and but we were all pretty good about it and you know, we would hike together most of the time, but, you know, there'd be some mornings I'd wake up and be like, hey, guys, uh, let's stay at the, you know, Van de Vetter shelter. Um, like, I'll see you there. And they always knew that it was just like, 
he wanted to walk alone today, so whatever. Like, I don't know, there was, like, no tension to, like, be with them all the time, but we were always around each other, and I thought that was a pretty beautiful thing, too. There just, like, wasn't pressure to, like, be with people, but you also had those people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you could just, you know, and I, and I could I could see those situations getting awkward where, like, yeah. one person, in order to walk with somebody for, like, three or four months, you got to really kind of be on the same page about the little logistics like that. And we were, and it was, it was a blast. I don't know if it could have happened with two other people. I'm not sure. Yeah, it, it's, it's challenging, difficult to find people who accept your need to be together, but also to do your own thing at the same time and can let people kind of come and go at that, in that way. Exactly. It's, yeah, we, uh, and you know, even when I, I walked, uh, I walked mostly with Big Tuna. Lacopa was with us. We were like kind of a trio for a little ways. And then me and Tuna walked from basically Damascus to like Grafton Notch, Maine together. And when it was just me and him, we were kind of just like a duo. We were both, and I, I commend both of us in a way on, uh, you know, for instance, I'd wake up and I'd be like, hey, let's do this 23 or 25, you know, mile day. And he'd be like, dude, you know, I, I woke up feeling more like closer to like a 15 or something. Like I don't, you know, my knees are kind of hurting and, you know, sometimes it would be like, all right, cool, man. Uh, well, in like three nights, you know, we'll catch back up and like, I'll be here, here and here. And he was like, all right, man, like, yep, see ya. And sometimes I'd be like, you know what? Fair enough, dude. Like I'll do a 15. Like I could probably give my knees a break. And then sometimes he'd go further or less than I wanted to just to kind of keep that, you know, I guess it gets to a point where like, what's more important to you, you know, like getting as far as you want to go on a specific day or kind of having that like intimacy with somebody and mm-hmm. we we did a good job at choosing one or the other at different times. It was just it was pretty it was pretty seamless. Like there was never like an awkward, tensious moment. Like it was all just it just happened, man. It was so organic. I thought that was cool too. It's nice when you don't have to think about it. Exactly. And I I met people that expressed the idea that they were in a position where they had to think about stuff like that, and it it almost felt like they felt trapped and that's such an ironic day when you're like you know hiking something like the at like that's not how you're supposed to feel and i don't know i just think it just comes with like the two perfect people at the perfect time just like let's go you go that's all you can do walk that way at the end of the day that's all you're doing yeah it is interesting to hear people talk about you know, their desire to go out onto the trail and their love of the trail community. But also in doing that, getting a little caught up in the expectations of the groups that they get caught yeah. in or placed in. Yeah, it's a, I think that's a big, big thing that everybody learns out there. And one, one topic I remember that always, me and Tuna especially, kind of always uh, brought up and just kind of sounds like, interesting in a, in a way, but like the romanticization of the through hike, right? For instance, before I left, you know, and I, I think we all do it before we go out on our first big trail, but I think it's very commonplace for people to like, they'd be like, oh, so like, what's going on? And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm actually leaving to hike the Appalachian Trail in like two weeks. And like, 
you know, everybody's first response is like, oh, man, that sounds so dope. I wish I could do that with you. And it's like, that's a good idea to have. But I think that a lot of people see those magazine covers of people just like, you know, sitting on like the perfect sunset. You know, they've got like their little fire going. Everybody's got smiles on their face. And I feel like people thought it was like kind of just like a five month that over and over again, you know, like every night was just campfires and ukuleles and like <laughs> people passing around pipes and just like everybody laughing. And it's what people don't generally see are just those days when you're like knee is hurting like Hades and you're like questioning whether or not you're even going to be able to make it to like the next state or like the fear of like knowing that you have like 10 more days of active snowfall or like everything I own is getting kind of damp and wet. And I, you know, it just, people romanticize the idea of walking in the woods. And it is a, it is a beautiful thing. I'm not taken away from that. But I feel like there's just this kind of fascinating, like, distinction of, like, as beautiful as it is, it's only that beautiful because a lot of it kind of sucks a little bit. And that's kind of what, yeah. made, you know, if it was, you know, I've, I've always said, like, if tattoos didn't hurt, you know, most people would have them. It's kind of like a, you have to kind of go through a little bit to kind of get that extra like oomph at the end. I'm a firm believer in that. I think yeah. uh, if it was easy, it wouldn't be as just awesome. I don't know another word for it. Yeah, I think they used to have when um, when I was doing crew uh, back back in the day, we used to have this this saying that was, if it were easy, everyone would do it. Yeah. I think that's totally true. I think that goes a lot of stuff too. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's making it, it being hard, it being challenging, difficult, painful is what makes it worthwhile. Absolutely. I think that that is, uh, for me, I, I just, yeah. And for the guys that I was kind of walking with, we all kind of agreed. It was just like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it has to suck a little bit for it to just, like, you know, if I got to Katahdin and I felt perfectly fine, like my knees weren't aching a little bit, like I wasn't hungry as hell, like if I wasn't smelling so bad and kind of wet, like it just wouldn't have had that, yes, you know, feeling to it, I think. Mm-hmm. I just, I know, yeah, I am a firm believer that a little bit of suck can go a long way with the reward. And not that the whole experience sucks, but there is just that, uh, you know, you don't expect those nights to creep up on you when you're laying in your tent and you're like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do when I get done with this? And you start getting all these like, kind of like existential thoughts where you're like, yeah, I'm out here. And at least I had these where I was like, you know, I'm out here and this is like the coolest thing ever, but like this is going to end eventually and I've got to go back and like continue what I was doing back home. And that's kind of a haunting feeling when you're out there trying to feel so liberated because you just get, it never goes away. You're just almost kind of like running from it or like getting away from it for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, stuff like that, I wasn't expecting to really get as hard as I did. Just certain nights, you know, everything would be going fine. And then you'd be like, Oh God, X, Y, or Z when I get back or something. That was one that always kind of made me kind of, eh. It was just the fear of like having to come back home and like, you know, start a career, start, you know, actually 
I at least can't probably triple crown myself. I would if I, I mean, I guess people say that all the time and everybody can, but I just don't think I'm in a position right now to be able to like just hike like that for so many years. And so I kind of knew that that was going to be, you know, I was going to do the AT that year, maybe in a couple of years, if I can find the, you know, appropriate time to do the PCT, that's definitely in the, in the playbook. I just got to make sure I play my cards right again. But yeah, yeah. I think I kind of uh, went on a tangent there. but <laughs> No worries. No worries. Yeah. I mean, but essentially you going out to the, to through hike the AT was avoiding having to answer the questions, the existential questions, as you put it. So it's, it's kind of entertaining. I have to admit that, you know, obviously they follow you. And you can't really escape them. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's, so I, I studied philosophy in college. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Which a lot of a lot of people either, uh, like when I tell people that, they're usually like, oh, that's dope. Like you actually studied something you obviously care about. Then some people are like, why? And I've always found that kind of funny. But anyway, so when I was out there, I was, you know, kind of, like I was thinking about those kinds of things. Not not that I was just like sitting on rocks like the thinking man philosophizing about the world, but you go through so many, so many thoughts out there. And a lot of them I would come to, I would be like, you know, hey, uh, and I would just pick like a topic that I've learned, talk, you know, ethics is something I kind of give a lot of uh, focus towards. Uh, I think those just ethical dilemmas and stuff are really interesting, morality and stuff like that. And, you know, I would think about those and that would be entertaining, but then it would slowly sometimes fade into like personal, which I guess is a good thing. It's good to reflect. But, uh, like I said, sometimes you're just in your tent or like you're walking and I would just get hit with this like bombshell realization where I was like, you know, oh my God, I, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Cause that was a big thing for me. I guess before I left, I just I was out of school and I didn't really have like, I don't know, I was working but it wasn't anything that I was necessarily going to be like calling a career in. And yeah, dude, it's the, the, the rumors are true. It's very hard to get a, uh, a real job with a philosophy <laughs> degree. That is true. And so I, uh, I think me leaving for the AT was kind of a response of like, like, well, I've got the time and resources to do this right now. Like I, I might as well capitalize on this. Maybe something will hit me. And if not, it'll be a super cool thing to, you know, have in my memory bank. And like I said, I, I, I think the kind of uh, beautiful thing is like I, I think I started with hopeful, you know, hoping that I would reach some of these answers like before Katad or at Katad. And I think what I ended up taking away from it was stuff that I didn't even realize that was going to benefit me or something that I wanted to know you know, like little life lessons, like one I remember thinking about, um, which kind of, you know, I, I still kind of say to myself a good bit just throughout days here is like, you know, the biggest mountain doesn't always have the best view. And I think that can kind of apply to like other, you know, non-hiking uh, activities, but stuff like that, you know, and it's like, it sounds so simple and kind of silly and it may be, but if you can kind of like, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I learned attitude and kind of like mindset are like basically the biggest factors in happiness. No situation you're going to be in will like innately make you happy. And like hiking the AT for me, like 
finding happiness in those snowy situations and those crappy, you know, shelters or like, you know, when my ankles were hurting like Hades, but I was still laughing at Tuna's fart joke. You really start to like see that it's all in your head, kind of. Yeah. Like, there's there's no right place for happiness. Like you can be happy wherever you are. It's kind of like the story of Sisyphus. It's a philosophical story that I really like. The guy that was banished. Uh, it's like a mythology tale. He was uh banished to push a big boulder up and down this hill for eternity. And the whole premise of it is like one must imagine Sisyphus happy, and it's just kind of talking about how there's no. There's no place for you to be happy. You're either going to be happy or you aren't. And I think that that's a gorgeous, gorgeous thing. And I think before I left, I didn't have that mindset at all. Like, I I, I just kind of feel better upstairs uh, since I've gotten back. Just feel more, uh, more aware and adapt to, like, not letting things get to me as bad. And I think that's mm-hmm. probably the number one thing that I got from the trail. Like, at the end of the day, if I could only have taken one thing away from it, it's just attitude, dude. <laughs> That's what life is, man. I'm a, just a true believer in that now. I've always heard that growing up, and it always annoyed me. I was like, how can you, you know, that's not true. Like, this situation sucks. It's so it sucks. And it's like, well, maybe it doesn't have to. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> All those grown-ups, those silly grown-ups. Right? Weren't they right the whole time? I know. It sucks. (laughs) Yeah. What was the silliest or craziest philosophical question that you found yourself pondering while on the trail? Um, uh, you know, I don't know. See, silly and silly is one thing. And then kind of like crazy to me is a little different uh as far as that i mean me and me and lacopa lacopa is a uh he's from harlem new york lacopa if you're listening what's up man uh but he uh really really smart guy he's a uh high school uh uh spanish teacher from argentina originally super super bright guy and took a lot of interest in the fact that I studied philosophy which is really cool that that's that that stuff doesn't happen very often not a lot of people really you know, just care to actually talk about it with, with me or with other people. Mm-hmm. And we would frequently talk about like ethical dilemmas. Like I was getting into a little earlier, like, you know, the whole, like, uh, the train, uh, moral dilemma where like a train's heading towards like a group of people. You have the option to either pull the lever or not pull the lever. If you pull the lever, the train derails and hits one person but you're kind of like at fault because you changed it or you can not do anything and let the group of people get hit. It's like, what's the right thing to do there? And it's so great and interesting to hear what other people have to say about stuff like that. Cause some people are like, you know, you pull the lever, dude, it's one, you know, it's nine less people. And you hear some people like, I don't want that blood on my hands. And like, it was just kind of cool to talk about little situations like hypothetical, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. We got, we had some pretty good, conversations and then we and i hate to even admit this because i'm 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 pretty politically apathetic to be honest with you but me and lacopa specifically kind of we even brought up politics and i'm usually a big no-no like you don't bring up politics while you're drinking or uh or like 
hanging out. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of not something that I personally enjoy because I, I care about politics, but I just, the political climate is just so strange now. It's just hard to have a good conversation. Yeah. And, uh, but Lacopa and I, we had great conversations and we disagreed about a lot of stuff. And that was pretty cool because we totally have this, you know, completely like, nah, man, like that is absolutely not how I feel. But then in between, you know, we're like laughing, like, hey, man, by the way, did you want to stop for lunch here? It's like, oh, yeah, sure, man, of course. Like, there was just never any, like, tension kind of like that. And I thought that was cool as well. And those got pretty deep, you know, about all the stuff just going on with Mm -hmm. guns and abortion and all that stuff. I mean, eh, those got pretty deep. But as far as a single philosophical question, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, One doesn't come to mind. I don't know. Yeah, no, it just kind of, you know, it just the conversations would just meander just like the trail would. Just kind of, mm-hmm. we'd, we'd start talking about these ethical dilemmas and we'd end up on like on our favorite metal albums of all time, you know. It just, <laughs> yeah. No no way, no rhyme or reason to how we got there, but we did. And uh, that, that's always fun. Did you find through your conversations with Lacopa about politics in particular that you or he changed your mind about things or expanded your concepts Uh, about stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I I don't know if there was like one topic where I remember walking away from the conversation and being like, I have, I totally have like changed my Mm -hmm. mind. But I remember we were talking about, uh, what was it? Um, It might've been, gun like just kind of general gun laws and uh you know i'm from the south like i just i kind of don't care if people have guns or not Mm -hmm. um and i remember him he he's very on the other side of that if i remember correctly uh uh and because he's a teacher and he was telling me about his uh Mm -hmm. like the, the new protocols that they have for like as sad as it is to say like school shootings and stuff. I mean, that's becoming like a thing that you have to actually kind of prepare for now where in the past it might've seemed like an isolated thing. I mean, maybe that's true or not, but it just, you know, obviously it's getting more traction because it's happening more. And I I think it was during that conversation when I kind of was like, I just had thought about it from a different side and Mm -hmm. more so than I ever have. And because he, he, he was a teacher and he was telling me all the things that he had to do and just like kind of like the vibes that whenever they do it, just the way that the teachers in general kind of feel about it. And that was a really interesting one that I do remember specifically. Yeah. But I don't remember ever being like, you know, I've, I've absolutely changed my opinion, but it was just really, I just thought it was amazing to be able to have just like hours and hours of political talk and have there be zero argument, you know? Mm-hmm. It was just kind of it's like unusual. It is unusual, and it shouldn't be, but but it is. And I respect him, like I said, for that as well. Yeah. That's back to the trail thing, man. That's what makes the trail the trail, especially the Appalachian Trail. True. From what I hear, I guess because it's more of like the social of the three, um, from what I understand. Yeah, or it's has the busiest. more of like a. Yes, that's a good word. But yeah, good stuff. It sounds like it. You've made mention a couple of times about your knees. Did you go into the trail with issues with your knees or did that, was that something that came about on the trail? Yeah. 
as far as I'm concerned, it came about on the trail. Okay. Uh, and I still, to this day, I mean, they're, you know, they don't hurt me when I get up in the morning and stuff, but like I, I frequent the gym. I'm trying to stay in shape and, uh, I find myself when I walk on the treadmill or, or basically I have to walk on the treadmill and not run because that pounding definitely does upset it a little bit. But as far as I'm concerned, it was from Springer Mountain to Franklin, North Carolina that kind of messed my knees mm-hmm. up a tad. It's all my fault. Just pushing too hard too early. Um, before I was, I was confident in my brain, but not in my body, if that makes sense. And absolutely. Yeah. And I had to, like I said, I had to slow down and I made the whole thing with the help of two knee braces and smarter hiking, but I don't expect it to be like a, I don't expect to like, have, I think they're just still kind of, I'm, I'm healing them by working out and stuff. I'm trying to kind of rehabilitate them a tad, but they still give me a little bit of problems, but. It was worth it. <laughs> Were there any other issues, problems, uh, injuries, or whatever that that you were dealing with once you came off the trail? Like, how was your how was your after trail depression, or did you even have any? Uh, yeah, man, that was actually probably the one thing that hit me the hardest that I wasn't expecting at all. Uh. And I don't know how, it wasn't so much like a depression, it was kind of like a frustration. Going to uh, back to West Georgia, the college I went to, to get my MED, my master's in professional counseling, and I just kind of got wind of, like, that just started happening like a couple weeks and months ago, and I kind of had the thought since where, like, kind of getting accepted back into, like, you know, go back and get that degree was kind of like the actual moment where I finally got over the little post trail slump. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Like that was kind of like the defining moment where I was like, all right, like I feel like I'm back. Um, cause then, you know, like I said, it wasn't so much that I was just like depressed and sad and stuff, but I just kind of got in this thing where I was like, damn, that was so cool. I was so free and just doing what I wanted to do at all times, basically. And I came back and it was just kind of like the, the hustle and bustle of like an airport, you know, just really hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I was like, ah, I just kind of felt uncomfortable. Like I just felt like I didn't like belong sort of like, I don't know, but it was kind of funky. I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I, depression, I think is a good word just to kind of like, blanket it but it was kind of just like a frustrations of like I'm just not out there like I don't know like I just thought it was it was just like going from the coolest thing ever to just like the most normal thing ever and it just made that normalcy kind of feel less normal like it made it seem more mundane um yeah. I feel like that's something yeah. everybody might experience from coming back from like a really big travel or something you know you you see all it was a new thing every day and then I'm back to the same stuff that I've been around for years it just kind of put me in a little bit of a funk. You lost your purpose? I, you know, I don't even know if it was a purpose thing because when I did recently just find a new purpose getting back into school, which, you know, I finally have like a, like when I graduate from that program, you know, I'll be able to, it's not a matter of what am I going to do, it's where am I going to counsel, you know, mm-hmm. like, and that feels really good um, to actually have like a direction that kind of funnels me in somewhere. But, um, 
Yeah, I just feel like I kind of lost my funk, and like I, I had to keep hanging on to those ideas of like you know happiness is in a place. It's a, it's a mindset. It's not you know. I had to kind of remind myself, and it's ironic that I learned those very things on the thing that is causing this kind of depression. <laughs> I found that actually quite funny, and I laughed out loud about that a couple times. But yeah, I mean, it kind of sucked a little bit, but. I think people have had it way worse and people have had it way better. I don't know. I was probably in the middle from what I've had uh, conversations with hikers that I met and stuff. Seems to vary a lot. I mean, I, you know, I've met a couple of people that were like, huh, I don't know. I just got back and everything was totally cool. It's like, Oh my God, that's crazy. Uh, I guess some people just have a different reaction to things. Oh, absolutely. Everybody's, everybody's experience is going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. On the same trail, such a different experience, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. Well, I was just I was just talking to somebody, and we were talking about the fact that even being, you know, three or four miles apart on the same trail at the same time, essentially, can completely change your experience of the trail. Right. Yeah. That's that's very true. Uh, even like, and one thing actually on that too that kind of just came to me was like. The idea that, like, I remember one thing that we always found really, really, really funny, and I think the thing that we did the most of to entertain ourselves was, like, to me and Tuna, you know, we'd run into day hikers, weekend hikers, like, section hikers, uh, through hikers, whatever. And typically, you know, you're around these people for maybe, like, a lunch break, or you stay at a shelter once or twice with them, and usually, you know, you kind of either move past or they move past you, like, you unless you kind of consciously decide to stay with somebody, I feel like you're, you always kind of yo-yo with people. Right. And so we, uh, we would always like meet these people either together or separate. We were meeting the same people. We used to always come up with these like backstories and just like, <laughs> total, like we would almost write like a comic about them. Right. Like, yeah, we'd get this really bizarre or really cool or experience with like this one person for like 20 minutes. And then we would talk about that person and just kind of like try to just guess. I mean, we would just put in these crazy little side stories. Like we would give them all nicknames and stuff. And it just became this kind of unwritten book that we just talked about the whole trail. And we'd frequently reference people we had met in the past. And like it just kind of became this story within a story that um, I thought was just really funny because Big Tuna was a really funny dude. And he would just be like, you know, we'd meet people like, for instance, here's a really funny one. Uh, when we were, when me and him were in Connecticut, uh, we got to this shelter and it was raining really hard. And, you know, we were just there hanging out and this, uh, this elderly gentleman came up and he was doing like a section hike of like Massachusetts and Connecticut or something like that. And he, uh, he comes up to the shelter and like, we start talking to him and, uh, He's going on and on and on about how the White Mountains are just going to, like, destroy us. He was making these kind of, like, weird comments, like, being kind of like a Debbie Downer, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, totally. Like, you know, we were, like, in, we were, like, in Connecticut, and it was like, dude, you know, like, we're, we're kind of in this for the long haul, dude. Like, I don't think that the Whites are going to, I mean, I'm sure they're going to be tough, but I don't think that they're going to, he was just making that such a big deal. He was like, oh, you're going to have to get new shoes, sir, like you're not making it through the whites and those. And I was like, what? Dude, like, these are two weeks old. Like, I don't know if I really understand your point here. He was kind of talking shit, if I can say that. And, yeah. uh, 
So when we left the next morning, uh, this is, I guess, what I say when I mean I thought Big Tuna was a really funny guy. We were, and this, he, he's the kind of guy that would, he had this in mind the whole night. So the next morning we all wake up and, uh, this guy that was doing all the talking was, uh, getting ready and we were about to head out. We had beat him by a few minutes and Tuna looks over at him. We hadn't spoke all morning and he goes, Hey man, have you ever done the whites? Like, have you ever hiked in the whites? And the guy was like, well, yeah. And Tuna goes, ah, then we'll be fine then. And just like started walking. And it was just this kind of like little rip. Like he just ripped him right before we left. Like, just like, hey man, like, don't, don't, don't think, don't be so aggressive with like you telling yeah. us that we can't do. And that next night we did like a 27, 28 mile day that day. Yeah, it was close. It was getting up there to 30. It was, that was a pretty big day for us. And we got to the shelter the next night. And this guy who had been doing like 10, 12, you know, 13 miles uh, a day shows up at our shelter, like, you know, double what he was used to. And basically, I, to this day, I believe that he was doing that to prove a point to us. Like, hey, I can hike just as far as you can. And yeah. so... We were like, we thought that was really funny. And then the next night he did it again, but he, he kept having this, like, he would get there really late at night. You know, he, he couldn't keep up with us as far as speed goes, but he obviously had the audacity to do the mileage, but he would always come in at camp and we were like all laying down and he, he, he had this really big pack that kind of looked a little like intimidating and he would walk up from the shadows and like, we started talking about how he was like, uh, like Michael Myers. Like mm-hmm. he was like always, always around you. Like he's not like Michael Myers never runs after people. But this guy would <laughs> just like, you know, walk up to camp really late just to be like, Hey, I can hike with you, you douchebag. And it's like, Oh dude, we laughed about that guy so hard. How he was just haunting us sort of because I was like, Tuna, this is all your fault, dude. You're the one that kind of ripped him up a little bit. And then, He's just after us, man. Like he's just gonna he's gonna go to Katahdin with us and change his whole plan just to prove you wrong. And we laughed and laughed and laughed about that. Stuff like that, man. You know, and like afterwards we would just be like, Yeah, that guy, you know, he was he was born here and this is what happened. And we would just make up the story that would justify the way we felt about him. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. It got totally. really, really, really out there. Uh a lot of the times, but it was just kind of one of those things. Like it just happened. I don't know. We thought they were funny. And now I have this, you know, I wrote down the names of all the people that I met, um, in this little journal thing that I got at devil's backbone. And, uh, it's really funny to like, look back on those now because I, it's been, I wrote down the names we gave them. And so mm-hmm. I can like read that name and be like, Oh man, that's the guy that X, Y, Z when in reality, XYZ is absolutely, totally not true. And I think that's hilarious. Right. I don't know. You read the name and, and you remember the story. Yeah, exactly. And it's just funny because like, they have no idea, probably, you know. Oh, absolutely but not. It's, such, it's such an intimate memory for me. And it's not like it was ever anything bad. Like, we would, you know, like we met this guy named uh, uh, Walkie Talkie, who was like a, he was a through hiker going northbound and he, he smoked us somewhere up in uh, uh, Virginia, and we we basically painted him to be like the chosen one for the year. 
for northbound hikers and how he was like the Anakin Skywalker of uh of like our class for that year and how we didn't want him to turn into Darth Vader. Just blah blah blah, <laughs> dude. It got out there. Um because he was a he was a purist too and uh that was something me and Tuna ended up feeling pretty strongly about and we were like, man, don't go down the dark road. Don't turn into Vader. And he didn't, and that just made us laugh even harder. But you basically had to fill the hours somehow. Exactly, and ours was just totally fictitious writing, Mm -hmm. and not even writing, just talking. Which actually dovetails perfectly into a question that I wanted to ask you, or a story I was hoping you'd give me about uh, trail magic from Kenobi. Oh. Yeah, I see you've uh, you've done your homework <laughs> a little. Yeah, dude, that uh, that kid was so cool. Uh, so we were in Pennsylvania, um, coming out of Duncannon, I believe, and we get to this like kind of shelter camping spot area, and there's this kid like you know just hanging out at the camp already, and we started talking to him and. He was out there for just a couple of weeks, like or a couple of nights, and he, he he was a local of Pennsylvania somewhere. And uh, you know, if I feel like a lot of through hikers can kind of understand this, you really get to know somebody, you talk to them, and then when you leave the shelter, especially if they're like a weekend hiker, you kind of like accept the fact that like that was your experience with them, like it's over. Like you'll mm-hmm. you'll probably never see that person ever again. You know, for the sake of it's you know it's one trail, but you're going that way. They're going the other way. You know, they they live in a different part of Pennsylvania, like whatever. Like it was cool. We met Kenobi, said goodbye to him. That was it. And so I, it, throughout the conversation, I guess he had picked up on the fact of like where we were going to be. Like as we were planning our next couple days, obviously in the shelter and just kind of talking about where we were going to be. And like three days later, we're walking um, down. I don't remember exactly where it was. It was in Pennsylvania. And we were crossing over like a road over a bridge and kind of winding back up towards a mountain. And we get to this like little, you know, porter potty area, if you will. And uh, we're sitting right on the little wall that was separating the like woods and the parking lot was just this like box that had big tuna and bolt from Kenobi. It had a couple drawings on it that were pretty inappropriate, but they were hilarious. And inside the box, dude, he had packaged. Big Tuna's favorite peanut butter, which was like specifically like the Reese's peanut butter. Mm-hmm. I had talked about how I had like missed coffee and stuff. So he got me these chocolate covered coffee grounds. Um, you know, he, he, he had like, it was like he had listened to what we were talking about. Cause you know, when we were at camp, I was like, ah, oh, shit, like I'm about out of Nutella, which was one of my biggest go-to food items was just jars of Nutella. And, you know, he picked up on that and like, put Nutella and stuff like in this box and like, you know, it was just like kind of the coolest thing ever. Cause he went, you know, so far out of his way to kind of like totally surprise us with that. Like he didn't tell us anything. Mm-hmm. He just knew that he left it there sometime in that day, we'd be passing through that area. And it's just stuff like that where you're like, man, humanity is not lost. You know, like would I have done that for somebody? Like, I, I don't know, but it was just, super cool and we ended up meeting up with him another day or two later kind of before we exited Pennsylvania and like 
we took him, uh, and this is actually the best part of it all, to kind of show the character of this kid. But we were like, hey, man, let's go into this town, meet us at this bar. We're going to eat some dinner, um, drink a few beers, and let's just kick it for a night. And then, you know, maybe that'll be our final goodbye. Mm-hmm. So we get to this restaurant bar, and me and Tuna were like, dude, we got to buy this kid dinner. And um, we were like, all right, cool. So he comes and he sits down with us and the waitress brings us our check and he grabs the check and was like, if you guys pull out your card, like I'm going to slap you. And we were like, dude, you're treating us for the fact that you treated us. Like, (laughs) it it was just like, I don't know. And meeting people like that is just super cool for like, just the fact that, you know, there's plenty of nice people in this world, but the bad ones always overshadow them. You know, you only read about the bad people. Yeah. Um, and it's just cool that like, and that was another thing that just kind of was of consistency throughout the whole trail was people like Kenobi who just went out of their way just to like drop you off a couple of tortillas and tuna packets, you know? Um, and it was just super cool. Just a random kid from Pennsylvania that I, I talk to him sometimes still. We ended up spending a couple of days, nights with him, and uh, I wouldn't be shocked if sometime in the future, future, uh, we'll go hiking somewhere together. That kid was really cool. Something that was momentary turned into something bigger uh, with yeah. even better memories of it. That's exactly right. And it was all on his behalf. You know, we were kind of confined to the trail, but he was he was a local, he, you know, he knew the parts where we were going to be and this, that, and the other. And it was just the audacity of somebody to go out of their way just to like hook us up with peanut butter. And it's like any hiker knows you come across something like that. It's like, that's your whole day. Like your whole day just got better. It's like, dude, (laughs) like I'm not, I'm going to eat every bit of this right here and then just keep the stuff in my pack, you know? And Mm -hmm. we just munched so hard. Uh, at that little parking lot and it was just the best cool yeah what what i love about that story too is that you guys in telling in in talking about what you were going to do next and so forth like he was paying attention he was listening right yeah and that was something i didn't even notice when he like when because tuna like opened up the box and he was like dude this is my favorite peanut like he was like i you know i haven't found this like recently and looked on the trail I guess the conversation was he was talking about how he missed his Reese's peanut butter jars. And, you know, this kid went and found one and gave it to him. It was just like, oh, no. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. He was paying attention. And that's just super cool, too, given the fact that the attention rates these days are they're <laughs> declining. I mean, I don't know. Like, I just I keep putting myself in that kid's situation. And I'm like, what I have done, what Kenobi did. And we gave him the trail name Kenobi because from, like, general kenobi from star wars just mm-hmm. the commander dude just like the the good guy not to a fault but just like the, the the best of us you know like he was just the good guy he was like the little our like commander for pennsylvania kind of it was really yep. funny and uh really cool i'm glad you asked about that that's yeah yeah that was a good one i'll never forget that yeah it- it, it feels like, like in my conversations with people, that people's experience with trail magic and trail angels and that type of thing on the trail 
kind of mm-hmm. renew their faith in humanity in general. Dude, I think that's a, I think that's a very common thing that all of us kind of experience out there. And yeah, it's the AT. I can't speak for the other big mm-hmm. trails. Uh, I imagine they're similar, but I think what makes the AT so kind of like infamous for it is that, you know, there's, there's more people, there's way more access to the trail. So like, it only takes one nice person to make a whole group of hikers entire week, you know? Oh yeah. That one box of honey buns and that case of beer on the side of the road. Like, dude, you just made like 26 people's day. And that's just the cool thing. I, I do. Uh, totally agree. Faith in humanity can easily be repaired while doing hiking and stuff like that. Uh, I think a lot of there's a, there's a similar characteristic and like you know personality traits that I think we all kind of share. And I think it's just like the warmth of community. I think even if you like hiking solo, you still are willing and able to like help people without there being much of a question about it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool to watch. Yeah. Your, your story about the beer and the honey buns also reminds me that uh, a lot of times we, we have such big expectations about what will make us happy or what we will require to be happy. And it really doesn't have to be that difficult. It can be a honey bun. It can be a beer on the side of the road. <laughs> Isn't that great? I know. Like a warm Miller Lite was like one of the best beers I ever remember drinking just because it came at like a great time, you know? Yep. It's hilarious, man. And speaking of honey buns, I swear I probably, uh, I've tried to do the math. I, I, I ate so many of those things and that's one of the only foods that I ate consistently out there that I can still just crush if I want to. Like I never got tired of honey buns and Nutella, dude. That stuff will always have a uh, a special place in my stomach. <laughs> Way to put it. So good. That was so good. Uh, what else were you eating while you were out there? Or not eating yeah, at, the, at uh, some point? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I started with a pocket rocket stove, and I sent it home somewhere in Virginia. Um, kind of goes back to another thing we talked about. Me and Tuna talked about a lot. was like, it's funny how lazy through hikers can be and when i say that i mean the only reason i sent my stove home like it wasn't even so much about the weight aspect because it was like you know four ounces with the pot i mean it's not like it was anything weighing me down but i legitimately got to a point where i was like i don't want to boil water at the end of the day and make a meal like <laughs> i want to just not do that like i just got lazy with it and uh we laughed about that just because we, you know, we, you, you meet people, they're just like, ah, I don't want to do that. And it's such a simple thing, but it's like, no, I didn't want to do that every night. And like, uh, so I sent it home and then pretty much my diet got kind of boring, but there's like tuna packets, tortillas, olive oil, if I could get my hands on it, uh, Nutella, honey buns, and then just like cold oatmeal kind of was, uh, my breakfast, lunch and dinner and like dessert, if you will meal replaced with like little metrics, like MedRx mm-hmm. bars. Yep. Uh, the super cookie crunch one was our all-star food item. Uh, we, we ate so many of those too. And I can't eat those ever again. I'm sick of those, but, uh, yeah, tuna and honey buns, man. That's kind of how I'd sum it up. 
tuna and honey buns and Nutella. Did you, because you said you had, you were a coffee drinker or what have you. What did you do for that after you sent your stove home? Nothing. I just. You let it go. I'm not too, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself like addicted to coffee. I do enjoy it, but if it's not, if it's not there, I'm not going to like crave it necessarily. Um, I'd get that in towns and stuff if we were resupplying and stuff like that. But yeah, it just, I don't know. I think after a while, like once you get in a groove, like once you actually set into like your morning schedule gets to be the, you know, once you start getting ready at the same amount of time each morning, does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. once you just have everything yeah. dialed in and you're like, you know, it, it'll take you like about 17 minutes to like get out of camp every morning just because you've done it over and over and over again. You just, it was almost just like, I forgot about the things that I had like let go of, you know, like the coffee, like, it became not a part of my morning routine. So by the time it was like in my routine, it wasn't there. And so it just wasn't like a part of it anymore. Um, and so I just, yeah, I kind of kept, I, I kind of ate boring on the trail. I met people yeah. that had some really cool stuff. Uh, you know, like the ramen bombs people talk mm-hmm. about and uh, just people got creative and I wasn't as creative because I was just kind of going for like something I liked and something that was dense enough just to keep me like, you know, full and give me the necessary fats, calories and whatever. Whatever it took to me, keep me moving forward. Yeah. And you can get tuna packets at dollar stores, grocery stores. It doesn't matter. Gas stations. So it was very, very accessible, which was another big thing that, I kind of stuck to tuna for it was just always there. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that's, that's a big piece of it, particularly when you are resupplying from the trail of what's available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You sometimes I remember Trent's grocery somewhere. Uh, I don't remember exactly where in Virginia, but Trent's grocery was this place we resupplied it at one time. And I remember there having to like totally deviate from what I had typically eaten. Cause like they, it was, you know, they were either sold out or just didn't have, maybe they had two tuna packets, you know, and I had to get mm-hmm. like three days worth. So I had to kind of deviate there. That was one where I remember I had to be like, all right, well, what do you guys eat? <laughs> I got <laughs> a pepperoni. Got? All right, whatever. Um, but yeah, that was always fun. I, I enjoyed resupplying. It was always cool to like map out like, all right, three days. I need 12 honey buns, you know, one jar of Nutella. 10 tuna packs or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was always fun. Right. Your menu. Exactly. The gourmet five-star <laughs> tuna burrito. Uh, when you, when you packed everything up to start at Springer Mountain, mm-hmm. did you do a lot of specific shopping in preparation for the AT or did you basically kind of have your stuff and, and used what you already had in terms of, you know, clothes and shoes and uh, yeah. sleeping bag, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, I, I'm kind of a gearhead. I, I really enjoy the, the technology out there now with like, especially like ultralight backpacking stuff. I've gotten more into that since I've hiked, but I was fortunate enough to like, you know, I started getting into backpacking in like 2016. And then by about the time I started like actually collecting my own gear, that was, I had a, a buddy that got me into backpacking, Lars Chate. Um, 
he has like enough camping gear to take like three other people out at any time. Mm, like okay. he has a whole, so I would always use his stuff. And, and until it became an actual hobby of mine, it took about a year. I started buying my own stuff or well, around that time I started to get the idea to do the AT. So I was the first stuff that I was buying. I was kind of already gearing towards a through hike. So like I didn't have to, you know, buy that, sleeping bag and then get a lighter one later like i already i kind of was doing i was buying gear specifically geared towards my at hike i guess so i think i i was i had the uh the fortune to like be like i didn't send much stuff home i felt like i was pretty prepared because all the research that i was doing and buying my own gear was coming directly from previous through hikers uh you know, I never went out and bought a bunch of gear and then realized it wasn't going to work for me. Like it, I had a lot of very experienced people around me kind of pointing me in different companies, you know, like your Z packs and stuff like that. Uh, I ended up rocking the, the duplex Z pack duplex tent that I'm just in love with. <laughs> and that's something that I probably wouldn't have even heard about had yeah. I had just kind of gone to like REI and gotten a tent, you know? So I, I, I started, I think pretty well. I mean, obviously I learned some stuff that I didn't need or vice mm-hmm. versa, but, um, I had a lot of really good people around me at home that were really excited for me to go do it. And so, this, you know, it felt like, you know, them helping me was kind of like allowing them to nerd out on stuff too, you know, cause they'd be like, Oh dude, tell me how the duplex is. Like I might get one <laughs> and, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I was fortunate. Yeah. Ner- nerding out over the, the ultralight gear stuff uh, is, I think, many people's pastimes because it's so much fun and there's so much choice out there now. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, like, it is it's, crazy. It's funny how hard it can be to pick a, pick a <laughs> pot to cook ramen in, you know, because there's just so many options. And yep. It is overwhelming, but it's super cool once you can kind of organize what works for you and what doesn't you can really start to kind of like i don't know with more knowledge comes more you know uh just deliberate choice mm-hmm. so oh, it, was, it, it was yeah it was super cool to uh I, I enjoyed procuring all my gear um that was a fun thing I, i'm a fan of packing in general like i it's like adult tetris to me you know fitting <laughs> yeah. everything in your pack in the right way to kind of make it you know, just feel good on your back and stuff like that. I, I find that fun. I'm a little OCD, so it's fun to, you know, you get things it. in corners. And yeah, yeah. It, it's, it genuinely entertains me. And so gear is one of those things where I'm like, ooh, this pot fits perfectly in between my sleeping bag and my, uh, my sleeping pad. Like, oh, like, those moments are what make me happy, kind of. <laughs> yeah, that is a, a, a true, uh, what is it, uh, gear geek at heart. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I, I don't think I'm as bad as some people I met, but I definitely, definitely love seeing what other people use. Uh, you know, and you get to camp and you see somebody whip out a totally different setup. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. like I've never seen that sleeping bag before. Like, well, what's up? And, you know, they're like, oh, dude, it's the best. And you're like, no, mine's the best. And then you're just like, ah, <laughs> uh-huh, like we all have what we want. I don't know. It's good. Yeah. cool. I haven't gotten anything new really, or I upgraded my pack when I got back home. 
I'm pretty satisfied with everything else in my bag right now. I don't see anything really changing in the future, especially if I were to do like another long through hike. I think I've just, the only thing I've changed is my pack. I went from a, uh, Osprey Atmos, like 65 liter. Um, and I dropped that to a, uh, I ended up getting one of the ULA circuit, I believe mm-hmm. it was the ULA circuit, which yep. I mean, the whole two and a half pounds lighter than the, the Osprey. The Osprey pack was super awesome for, you know, that was a good AT pack. I think, uh, the, the little, what I the anti-gravity back thing that they have on them. I think that was super good for like my knees. And it was ultimately just a super comfortable pack, but now that I'm more uh, adapt outside, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, all right, now let's see how light we can get it. You know, <laughs> I know, I know my comfort threshold. Let's see how right. light I can go, and that's fun. It's just a cool little hobby. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about some. Well, you already talked about your pack, so about three specific gear choices that you're made that you made and why they worked for you or, or what you liked about them most, you know, in terms of, I guess, for other people who are listening, who are like, why would I go with this versus something else? So, yeah. And let's so, start with that Z-Pack duplex. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, I got two other ones after that. That's a perfect three. Uh, yeah, the duplex man, I, that was one of the first pieces of like, kind of like light, ultralight, whatever you want to call it, gear. I always kind of thought it was funny. I had it in like a four and a half pound uh, Osprey bag. But, uh, you know, people, other people thought that was funny apparently mm-hmm. too. But uh, <laughs> it's a great tit because, I mean, it's it's light and it's roomy as hell. I mean, I, I like having all my gear in my tent if I'm tent camping. I like to have everything just kind of confined inside the walls. And the setup to me is just, I mean, I can set that thing up from from inside my pack to, like, totally set up. And, I mean, definitely less than five minutes. I mean, three going on maybe three minutes, like, when I was in my prime out there hiking. Like, it was just so simple to me. Like, you stake it down, you put the poles up in it to, like, arch the tent, and then you kind of just tighten them up. And I'm a big fan of, like, efficiency. So, like, the easier something is, I'm more attracted to than maybe like how stylish or like useful it is. Like I would rather have something mm-hmm. be more efficient than like a better, you know what I mean? Like efficiency is like next to godliness to me. I just, <laughs> I don't like spending a lot of time, uh, you know, fiddling with stuff. Like when I get to camp, I want to set my tent up, roll out my sleeping bag and then get like eating and start talking and hanging out. And that was something that duplex allowed me to do. Uh, but even more specifically than that, about that tent that I found that I had no expectation of, but I found in the field was the, the bathtub, um, shaped like not footprint, but like the bottom of the tent, like what you lay on, um, you know, it curves up on all sides. It makes kind of like a bowl. You don't think about this stuff, but when it rains, you know, the tent flaps are coming down to a, you know, say three inches, four inches off the ground, well, the bathtub is coming up five or six. So anything that is going to splash inside, let it splash because it's not going to get past that bathtub. Mm, I thought that was a super, yeah, I thought that was a super cool uh, little 
uh, detail of that tent. Um, and you can kind of adjust how high you want it. So like when it's, if it rains really hard and you get stuck in like a, like a little ravine, if, if it rains like that, the rain's going to run just right under you. It's not going to go like over it. Um, and a lot of like flat footprints and like flat, you know, tent. I've had situations where like water's gotten into them because it eats through the seams and stuff. But the only thing touching the ground on the duplex tent is just the actual, like, you know, I think it's like Dyneema composite mm-hmm. fabric or whatever it is. Um, it's just the broad side of it. So, I mean, I, I'd be damned if not a single raindrop got in that tent the whole time. I mean, it was just, I just thought it was very well made. It was, it was very designed for like everyday use. Right. It was easy and kept me dry and ventilated. What more can you ask for? And protects you from the bugs. Exactly, man. It was, it's a great product. And I, I put it through a couple of test hikes before I left, slept in it all the time on the AT. And I mean, I still, I'll put another couple thousand miles in that thing if, if it'll allow me to. I have no intention yeah. on switching to a different tent. If anything, I may just get a smaller version of a uh, Z-Pax tent, but I'm kind of sold on their tents at the moment. Nice. So that's a, that was a big one. But uh, as far as the other two pieces of gear, um, one of which, probably the, the next one that I wasn't expecting any kind of specialty thing for was Aquamira for uh, water treatment. I will never, ever, ever, ever use <laughs> anything but Aquamira to treat my water out there. Not, And that sounds silly, you know, but people, you know, iodine's cool, but mm-hmm. Aquamira didn't have, I never tasted it in the water. And I think what I ended up liking about it the most was like, it kind of forced me to like take my pack off and sit down and take like a 10 minute, five minute break every now and then. And I enjoyed those moments because, you know, I'd fill up my water and whereas some people could probably filter straight from the stream with like some certain, you know, MSR or something or another, mm-hmm. those are cool. But I just had to scoop water in, mix this chemical and then drop it in there. And then I'd start walking and then, you know, a couple hundred steps down the trail, my water's good to go. So it allowed me to just like take my pack off, fill up my water bottle, let the Aquamira sit, take a little break, stretch out, and then pour it in my water, and I'd be on my way. And when it's when those two bottles are filled, you know, it's like two ounces. I mean, you can't really uh, okay. complain about a two-ounce water filtration system. Yeah. And it only gets lighter as you use it. So it's not, you know, if you're a real gram counter, <laughs> I, 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 just, I don't see, which I'm not necessarily, but I just thought it was just kind of the easiest thing and iodine i've just never i've never been a fan of the taste it leaves yeah but aquamira i never did you ever try like the sawyer squeeze or any of the other kind of filtration things yeah i have a sawyer squeeze i didn't i, I have it in my closet i i've used it and i will use it if it comes to it but i when you're doing that every day, this big tuna had a Sawyer squeeze and he, he loved his, but he frequently would sometimes be like, Hey man, can I use your aqua mirror? Because like, you know, you have to fill up the bag, screw it on the filter. And then like, unless you have like some sort of like gravity drip system where you can rig it up and like let it drip, which takes a while, you have to kind of squeeze the bags. And it's like, 
if you're filling up two water bottles, that can take, I don't know, 20 minutes. He's like, if you have to just, you have to squeeze that water because the filter can only pass through so much water, right? So yeah, it's not like it's coming out at the same volume as it's going in. And there would just be times where he'd be tired and just be like, dude, I do not want to squeeze two bags of a liter of water. And I was like, all right, man, yeah, use my Aquamira or whatever. And he, he kept his Sawyer. Um, and I think it's a great product. It's super light too, but just Aquamira just, it's just the easiest for me. It was like the most efficient going back to that. Um, and you were able to resupply it throughout the trail. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I never had a problem, uh, finding it i mean even if i had to go to like a gear store and like you know i I think the last one i ended up getting was in uh manchester city vermont i think that was the last one that i needed to get um you know i went to town and went to a little gear store um i even found it at a uh uh, like hostels occasionally too which was really nice um yeah i never had a problem with that at all Hmm. it lasts a lot longer than it looks like it would that's awesome. Yeah, I haven't had had anybody mention that at this point. Um, yeah, uh, so that's, I'm, that's a, nice I'm a firm, firm believer in Aquamira, man. That's that's my go-to. But uh, thirdly, I don't know if this is cheating, but the Gut Hook app. Uh huh. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's definitely like a piece of gear in a way. But if I can use that one, I'll say that one because that app is so well, I mean, just well designed in the sense that it's so accurate with like your placement, like you can use it without like on airplane mode. So you don't have to have like service to GPS where you are. So, you know, my phone would last for days because I was using it with gut hook, but I didn't have to like constantly go in and out of service. Like it was just always available. And for little things like where the next water source is, where the next road is, where the next couple campsites are, instead of having to pull out the book, you know, I can literally just open up the app, figure out exactly where I am, and then just scroll through the trail and look for the logos, click on them, and it'll be like so-and-so shelter, you know, 13.2 miles away. And it's like, hey, that shelter is 13.2 miles away. That's what we wanted. Let's go. And it just made planning uh remarkably easy and i think i actually uh i think in the last podcast you did i can't remember his name but he uh talked about how he at night like on the pct and stuff would like scroll through the comments on Mm -hmm. the uh various locations and like you find out some really maybe off the wall like stuff about certain places where you know somebody from a year ago will be like dude if you go to the you know, gas station on the corner of the city, like they'll give you a free beer for like to all through hikers or something like that, you know, and without reading it on a comment on gut hook, you know, you wouldn't have known that. And that was actually probably the coolest part about it. It was just getting all the kind of the DL information about certain towns and stuff. You know, people would post trail angel phone numbers um, and they'd be like, you know, they'll pick you up at this gap. Here's their number. Call them anytime. The banks are closed on Tuesdays at this town, you know, whatever, whatever. But stuff that you don't think you need to know until you know it. And you're like, oh, that's that's actually really helpful. 
yeah, yeah. Like I can go get a beer for free. I'm going there. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Gut hook, man. That I, I love that app and the people go ahead. I was gonna say, does it require, cause you were making a comment about being in and out of cell reception. So mm-hmm. does it require cell reception to it? I would assume that it would require cell reception to place you where you are on the trail, but it may have some downloaded information about sort of the area around you just generically. Is that accurate? No. So, I mean, dude, on airplane mode, like totally like, like oh, wow. my phone okay. being totally disconnected from service could place me exactly to the 10th of a mile where I was. That's what's so fascinating about it is I'm not entirely sure on the technology behind all that, but, uh, I mean, that was absolutely the best part about it. Cause like, you know, I, I, I didn't use my phone too, too much unless I was on gut hook. You know, I'd call mom and pops back home when, like when I was in towns and stuff. But when I was hiking, I really enjoyed having my phone on airplane mode specifically just cause I don't want to get emails. Like I don't want to get those telemarketer phone calls. And so my phone was on airplane mode 90% of the time I was hiking and, um, maybe even more than that. And I mean, gut hook is designed in a way where every single function on the app is used without actual service. It's, it's amazing. It, it truly is. It's amazing. It's useful. It's also kind of scary. <laughs> right uh that was definitely talked about yeah i almost got to meet the guy who designed the app in maine i think he's a local mainer if i'm not mistaken but he he does a lot of you know just hikes around uh the at and i know for a fact that i was in the hundred mile wilderness when he was in there but i think he was going south i was going north and i think we just started it you know i I think he jumped in like just right after I had gotten out or something, but we were around there at the same time. Uh, and I was really looking forward to meeting him. Cause I was just going to be like, dude, I know you don't know me and you don't care, but like your app is the bomb dude. You created a monster. Like it's just so useful. Yeah. I loved it. Um, <laughs> I find myself, and it's also kind of fun too, to like, since I've been back, like I'll go through certain sections on the app and just, just kind of casually scroll through like the trail and click on stuff. And like, it'll kind of jar memories. Like I'll be like, Oh shit. Like I remember camping there. I remember reading that comment about that place mm-hmm. or whatever. It's kind of cool to reminisce with it too. Cause it's always there. You know, you can always access the, uh, the information about the trail. And it's been cool to watch like people from this year post comments and stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. See how things have changed. To anybody. Yeah, isn't it crazy, man? People used to, you know, it was just the book. And then before that, you know, it was, I don't even know when the book was made, but I guess when Earl Schaefer did the trail, ain't no way he had a book. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's he crazy had a compass. to think about, right? And the trail is as is, is northbound as you may be. You frequently will walk south, east, and west, you know? Like, so you, I don't even know if you could fully rely on the compass anyway because you know at all times i guess because if you didn't know when the trail was going to meander you wouldn't know well i'm sure that the trail that he did was probably a little different from the from where it is now but oh sure of course but still like i i would (laughs) i don't know 
I, we got spoiled with gut hook. I'm telling you, I was, yeah. I'd make a compass work if I had to, but I'm glad I didn't have to. <laughs> uh, oh, that navigation class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the AT is so well marked that, you know, I think you could do it now without any sort of, you know, it, outside of finding out where you could go to get food and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, if you could just somehow magically walk the whole thing in one take, like, without having to, like, eat or anything. Like, you could find your way throughout the whole trail. It's so well marked, at least in my experience, it was. So it wasn't even yeah. so much for finding out where I was, but it was just finding out all the other stuff, which was cool. Right. But. The the little secret uh, secret gems. That's exactly right. <laughs> I, I was seeing on your Instagram that you had a picture of this nice wooden spoon. Uh, yeah. What is the story behind that? Um, yeah, so I became aware of the the whole lore behind those spoons damn near like the day or two before I found one. If I remember correctly, it wasn't that long before I found one. But so I guess apparently this guy named Jim uh, Tabor, Jim Tabber, I'm not entirely sure how you say it, but uh, he historically, I don't know how many years he's been doing it, but it's been long enough to where it's kind of like a thing. He carves these wooden spoons at his place. And I think he's in Pennsylvania. And every year he goes out at just various times of day, various days of the week, various times of the month, and just like puts these spoons, and you know, he paints them and stuff. Like they, they usually have like an AT logo on them or something. And he writes like a little, you know, uplifting message puts it in a plastic bag so it doesn't get wet and uh we'll just like set it not like on the trail but he'll put it like on a rock to your left a couple of feet and it's just one of those things where he leaves them he doesn't tell anybody he just leaves them there whoever finds it finds it and uh me i just so happened to find one man um super cool that he does that in general it's just i like stuff like that you know little traditions and just little little things that happen you know that's like a pennsylvania specific thing i believe it's just i don't know it's cool and he uh yeah he does it every year and i don't remember how many he makes i can't imagine it's more than maybe like 10 or 15 of them so it's kind of like a little memorabilia you know absolutely yeah it was a super cool thing to find it was just funny how we were talking about how we had just recently heard about it. And then like, boom, a couple of days later, <laughs> it's sitting on a rock. And it's like, enjoy your hike. Like, hope you're doing well, Jim. And I still have that thing. It'll keep it forever. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I can totally see you guys in that moment, though. You're having the conversation. A couple of days later, you find the spoon and you're almost standing there and you're kind of looking around you almost like, is somebody watching us? Like, is somebody following us? Yeah, like, this no, is just no, too... no, dude, that's exactly, that's exactly what it was. Like, you know, you saw this plastic bag sitting on this, like, um, you know, just this random rock. And it was like, well, you know, you're going to pick it up. Because even if it was trash, it was like, eh, get, get that shit off the trail. But mm-hmm. it wasn't trash. And so, you know, it was the spoon. And we were like, what, dude? Like, we, like <laughs> no, it couldn't be. Spoons. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, it, stuff like that happens all the time out there, man. And that was definitely a good example of it. Yeah. Huh. It it was, a, the picture of it was a beautiful, it's a beautiful spoon, wood carving. 
Yeah, it's, yeah, he does awesome stuff, and I've seen pictures of other ones that he's made, and uh, they're all they're all different and unique and different colors and stuff. And yeah, I felt pretty honored to be one of the kids to find one. Yeah, I don't know, it was cool. There should be a hashtag started of uh, people taking pictures of all of their spoons and posting it. Yeah, so I think in that photo that I. I posted, I think there was, I mean, I don't know if everybody does it, but I think there was a hashtag. It was like, uh, like, like Carver's Jim Carver's spoons or like Carver spoons. It's something like that, that I don't remember where the word Carver came from, but I, and and I remember when I used that hashtag and I clicked on it later, there were other ones. So I, I think there's like some sort of, you know, thing where people do it but i'm sure that everybody that finds one doesn't put it on social media i mean but yeah it was was super cool is there anything that you feel like we haven't talked about at this point that that should be talked about or should be said uh you know I, i i think one thing just for i don't know exactly the uh the kind of people that like listen to it, like if it's like hopeful through hikers or like current through hikers or like, you know, past through hikers or whatever. But I imagine that a lot of people that are trying to get into it or like thinking about doing it, probably listen to podcasts just like I did. I mean, I read a bunch of stuff before I did it. Cause I was like, you know, what am I getting myself into? Um, so I guess for those people, cause I, I kind of, I feel pretty passionately about like when somebody's like, Oh man, I want to hike the AT. I'm like, do it. You mm-hmm. can do it, do it. And you know, I, I like to, I just had a buddy the other day come up and like seriously talk to me about it. And I think he's going to do it. And, uh, it's really cool because you get to see where they are and you know, you're like, Oh, like I remember that exact thought, like that exact concern. And then you get to kind of like ease it for them or whatever. But I guess just, for the sake of this podcast, man, I'm, anybody that wants to do it, don't have you don't have to have muscular legs or like a lean figure. All you have to have is your brain intact. Like you just gotta you've gotta want it. I think mm-hmm. that's the only thing that would stop people from through hiking any trail is just the mental game. It's not tough physically of course but you get better at that you know you can be an all-star athlete and get beat mentally out there um oh, absolutely. That's, that's important because I, I hear people all the time they're like man i never could have done that and it's like well yeah like you definitely could have i mean with that attitude though like it's going to be harder but like <laughs> i never once wanted to quit because my legs hurt you know, I never once had the thought of like, like, oh, this sucks because like, you know, my, you know, ankles hurt. It was always, man, this is, I've been rained on for four days. Yeah. Second, you can get over stuff like that, dude, that trail is yours. And I believe that to the end of it. As long as you can laugh about it, you can, you can get yeah, through it. Dude, laughter, laughter is the best medicine in the world. Yep. Exactly right. And and you should know you've studied you've studied it you've studied philosophy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I've tried. I've read the 
the ramblings of Socrates and blah blah blah. But yeah, that was uh, I think that actually was like a Socratic thing. Laughter being a uh, what kind of separates humans from animals. Um, it was either him or Aristotle that said that. I'm ashamed. I don't remember exactly, but uh, yeah, laughter rules, man. It's if you ain't laughing, change, change something. Yeah, that's like the one thing I remember the most, dude. Just laughing out there at stuff. It was great, but yeah, I think that that's an important message for people that are wanting to do it. It's a mental game, man. You'll get in shape, whether you like it or not. But just got to keep that head forward. Mm-hmm. After that, trail is yours. It's as simple and as difficult as that. Right. That's exactly true. It's as simple as that and as hard as hell sometimes, but yep. very, very worth it. And hopefully I'll get to practice that again on the PCT one day, man. That's, that's the real goal. Uh, it's just waiting for you. Yeah, I know, man. I know it ain't going anywhere. I just got to, uh, I got to get through school. I'm thinking that I'll do the same thing I did for the AT, get through with my master's degree and then maybe dip out and do that, uh, mm-hmm. before I start practicing. I don't know. We'll see where the, yeah. the puzzle pieces fall, but that's the general idea now. Yep. It'll all work out. I, I have faith. Yeah. Life, life has a funny way of working out. Whether you like yep. it or not as well. Very true. Things, Very true. Things fall into places. Where can people find you if they want to kind of follow your continuing adventures or, or ask you questions or that kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, so the Instagram, I guess you checked out. It's uh, Connor Outdoors, C-O-N-N-O-R, Outdoors, underscores in between the words. Trail name was Bolt, so it'll say that on there too. And I, I love talking about stuff, you know, especially if somebody were to be like, Hey, I'm planning a 2020 through hike, you know, I, I love talking about it because it's not like you just hang around through hikers all day and, you know, at your <laughs> job and stuff. So yeah, exactly. Right? Oh, really? But it's, it, I, I enjoy talking about it. I just like being outside and stuff. So yes, I can hear the birds in the background. <laughs> yeah, I am literally outside, man adding a little soundtrack to the to the interview perfect thank you so much for uh for reaching out and coming on and and talking to me and i guess to us as as the wider the wider group of people who are listening yeah absolutely thanks for uh thanks for doing this like i said it's 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 super cool so many people talk about having a podcast and so very few people end up doing it i think it's i think it's awesome and I'll be tuning back in and back in to whoever else you get. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It, it's been so much fun talking to people and hearing everybody's different stories and experiences with all of the trails, actually. Um, it's, yeah. it's amazing uh, the opportunity that this is to, to talk to people like that. Yeah. No, I, I've enjoyed, uh, I love listening to people that have done like the CDT even specifically. Uh, I find that trail to be so fascinating from what I've heard about it from people who have done it and stuff. It just seems like it's kind of like the, the redheaded stepchild of the three where it's like, you either absolutely like 
maybe love or hate it. I don't know if that's a good way to put it, but I've, I've just heard some pretty, pretty gnarly stuff about the CDT. And I love hearing people talk about that one. Yeah. Uh, you just love hearing people talk about the gnarly. Right. Like, yeah, it just seems <laughs> like, yeah, maybe in like a couple of years, it'll be more like fleshed out. I guess that's one complaint that I've heard from a lot of people is like, it's just not all connected yet, I guess. Mm-hmm. It seems to not just be like a, a fluid entity. It's more of like a broken kind of, footpath of sorts but yeah i uh maybe one day that's the plan we'll see it's all an adventure and uh, yeah. and maybe you'll find other other trails that you want to do as well yeah the uh the pinhody trail is right beside me so maybe that one one day too And links for Connor's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Connor for sharing his stories from the trail, and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have thru-hiking adventures to share, we'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com, or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. We'll see you on the trail.